The deals are getting hotter during the dear days of summer. Get 0% financing for 60 months on all John Deere compact tractors. Plus, get a best-in-class six-year powertrain warranty at no additional cost. Hurry in today for the hot deals of summer. Offer ends August 2nd, 2016, subject to approved installment credit with John Deere Financial. Terms, conditions, exclusions, and warranty limitations apply. See dealer for details. Visit your local John Deere dealer today to take advantage of special savings going on now. Find out more at myjohndeerdealer.com. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to my weekly From My Mama's Kitchen talk radio show. My guest for this morning is Dr. Norman Rosenthal. He is a clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown Medical School and a New York Times bestselling author. Dr. Rosenthal and I will be discussing his latest book, Supermind, How to Boost Performance and Live a Richer and Happier Life through Transcendental Meditation. Good morning, Dr. Rosenthal. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. Very well, thanks. How are you? Doing very well, sir. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. It is a pleasure to have you on the air. Supermind is a terrific read. The book showcases an awesome understanding of how our mind works if we nurture it with the right kind of exercise. And the data you presented are very thorough, and it validates the mind-body wellness connection. So congratulations for that, sir. Well, thank you. Let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Well, I, it's quite a tall order because it's been, thankfully, quite a nice long life. But basically, I was born and raised in South Africa. And then mm-hmm. after qualifying as a doctor at uh, the Johannesburg University, I came to study psychiatry in the United States. I came to New York City and studied psychiatry at Columbia. And one thing I noticed was I had difficulty with the short days of winter. And nobody had sort of really flagged that as something that many, many people have trouble with. And then I went off to my residency there. I came to Bethesda, Maryland, to the National Institute of Health. And that's where I started researching that question and the effects of light on people. And I Mm -hmm. described seasonal affective disorder, uh, which is now known to affect millions of people, and in fact developed the light therapy, which helps people who struggle during the winter. So that was my first contribution as a researcher. And I've practiced as a psychiatrist uh, for the last 37 years, and I've uh, interested myself in many areas, mostly somewhat out of the box. You know, I Mm -hmm. I always Mm -hmm. am intrigued by things that aren't sort of in the straight and narrow. You know, if I'm Mm -hmm. looking at a picture, the chances are I'm going to see what's in the corner of the picture more than what's in the center of the picture. Very interesting. Yeah. So in in that sort of frame of reference, I mm-hmm. uh, went on to get fascinated in transcendental meditation. It was a patient, actually, mm-hmm. who brought mm-hmm. it to my attention, said, you know, you need to really look into this. So I got trained. I had actually been trained way back when in South Africa, but I let it drop. And he encouraged me to really take it seriously, which I've done in the last eight mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have been very, very interested in its power to mm-hmm. change us, you know, to change people, right. to help us cope with living and, and live a richer and happier life and develop the ultimate potential of our brain, which I think is what so many of us want to do. So there you have it in a nutshell. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much. When did you decide to pursue a career in psychiatry? You know, I was 16 years old when Mm -hmm. I decided I wanted to become a psychiatric researcher. Mm -hmm. I had always been fascinated by the workings of the human mind. And I was very, very curious to find out more about it. And actually, I looked around me and some 
we had some very interesting characters in my life. You know, people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, did strange and wonderful things, and I was always fascinated. I had a cousin, for example, who was a compulsive gambler. You know, he was sure that the horse, you know, would never lose <laughs> the one that he was. And he, he said to me, this horse, it cannot lose, it cannot lose. And I thought, <laughs> now, why not? It could mm-hmm. fall, it could stumble, it could get a stone in its shoe. But, oh, no, right. he was sure it was going to win. And the poor man came to a bad ending. And mm. so I was fascinated. What was it that made somebody so sure that the horse would win? So every mm-hmm. time I saw something that was really strange and curious, I made a note of it. In fact, I wrote uh, a whole memoir on that subject called mm-hmm. The Gift of Adversity. It was my last mm-hmm. book, taking mm-hmm. little incidents from my life and um, mm-hmm. the people, the, the very fascinating people I met along the way and, and really showing that when things go wrong, that's when we learn the most. So that's right. anyway... Uh, that was the book before Supermind, but mm-hmm. that tells you a little bit more about me as a person and the incidents in life that have shaped me and shaped mm-hmm. my curiosity. I've always been very curious. I'm, I'm very mm-hmm. curious, for example, where's your accent from? I was born in Malaysia, mm-hmm. in Asia, and I came to the United States to go to college at Louisiana State University and pretty much stayed here when I was 18, and so this is pretty much home for me. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, as soon as you started talking to me, I thought, now, this is a really interesting accent, you know. I have to ask him where it comes from. So that's the way my mind works. I'm always asking questions. We share pretty much, I would think, the same English accents from the perspective of we both spoke at one time the Queen's English. Yes, we're, we're all, we all are what used to be the British Empire. When you looked at a right. map, everything that was pink was the British Empire. <laughs> you remember the pink blotches on the map that showed where? Yes. <laughs> well, I was in one of those pink blotches, and I guess you were as well. Yes, that's the commonality that we share. And it's interesting about when you talk about life and the world, how small can it be sometimes when you look at situations like this? Yes. It, it is indeed. It is indeed. And, and we all bring our unique perspectives to it, which, which makes it so more true. interesting. So true. <laughs> what is transcendental meditation? Well, that's a great question because, you know, when people think of meditation, they think of, you know, one size fits all. But it would be like taking the word medication and saying, oh, I'm on medication. Uh, so, oh, I also take medication. But one person may be taking, you know, cholesterol-lowering medication, and the other one may be taking aspirin. They're all different. Well, it's the same with meditation. Um, Transcendental meditation is a kind of meditation where instead of being asked to focus on something, you're asked to take a word sound or a mantra and allow Mm -hmm. it to come to you in a very effortless way. In fact, it's so effortless that it actually has to be taught because, you know, we're so used to working Mm -hmm. hard to get a result that the idea that this is a result that's going to come to you if you don't work hard, but if you just let it come to you, is very alien to us. And people have to actually help us learn how to relax and let the mantra come to us. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very interesting. How were you led to the study of Transcendental Meditation? I know you talked about the fact that you had started this discipline when you were in South Africa, and you kind of let it went by the wayside. So what actually led you to it? Well, you know, I was with this young man in my office. Uh, He was my patient, still is, and he told me, you know, your medicines are helping me a lot. But what's really making me happy is this meditation. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I I did it way back when. And he said, you've got to get back to it. I said, well, how long does it take? He says, it's 20 minutes twice a day. And there I am nodding my head saying, now, where am I going to get 20 minutes twice a day? I mean, (laughs) let's get real here. But he kind of nagged me and and, um, 
you know, there was something so earnest and sincere about how he was trying to persuade me that, you know, I have this notion that, you know, sometimes when the universe is giving you a message, you, you need to listen. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter who is the voice with whom the message is being communicated, who is giving you this message. Sometimes it just feels like I'm in the right place at the right time. I need to open my ears and listen. So I I did. I started, and not much happened, and he checked in on me, and he said, now, what's happening? I said, well, not very much. He said, well, are you doing it regularly? I said, well, not really. He said, you've got to do it regularly. Otherwise, it's not going to work. So I thought, fair enough. That's what I ask of him with my medicine. So I started doing it regularly. And sure enough, I began to feel these changes coming over me, which were at first, you know, subtle, but now very, very profound, that have actually changed my life in many ways. And then I began to recommend it to my patients and um, saw that they benefited. I did some research on it in veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan Mm -hmm. who had Mm -hmm. horrible post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, so I I studied some of them, and I was so impressed, you know, by the results that I went to the literature, and there were, you know, these hundreds of publications on this particular type of meditation. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote my first book on the subject called Transcendence. And I thought I'd said everything I had to say about the topic, but as these things go, um, when your consciousness begins to expand, that just keeps growing. And I found that I was being more creative and more productive, and people were being nicer to me. It felt like the world had gotten more friendly. Mm-hmm. Of course, the world hadn't changed. I changed. <laughs> but, you know, the um, French writer, Aeneas Nin, said that we see the world not as it is, but as we are. Mm-hmm. And it's a very true statement. We see the world as we are. So, you know, if we bring kind of really good energy to interactions, what we find is it comes back to us. And, so true. Um, yeah, I, in fact, I, I even put a little, a little um, vignette in my book, Supermind, mm-hmm. I was writing a chapter called Support of Nature, the feeling that nature is basically on your side and supporting right. you. And um, I was at this airport, and I was about to board the plane, and, I ha- and it said, you know, this is <laughs> the size of your bag, and it's got that very stingy-looking metal frame there. <laughs> and it was, I've got this bag, my over, and then I've got this, quotes personal item, you know, which is another mm-hmm. un, you know, specified thing. There's this really angry woman looking at, at this checkpoint, you know, waiting to catch you. Mm-hmm. And she says, your bag is too big. And I sort of was crouching down to make me and my bag look smaller, <laughs> but apparently it wasn't succeeding. So I said, what, what would happen if I sort of took something out of there and I pointed at my bag and put it in there and I pointed at the personal item. That's not going to work, she said. I look at her and I see somebody who is really stressed. She Mm -hmm. must be standing there all day long arguing with people. And I said, do you think there's any way that you and I together can make this work? And she looks at me for a long moment and she says, Sure, honey, we're going to make this work. (laughs) She helps me to sort of get the thing done, and I go through, and then I overhear her saying to her friend, she said, did you hear that? I've been here six months. It's the first kind word anybody has ever said to me. Mm -hmm. So it just sort of demonstrates how what we put out is what we get back. And I think when we meditate, when we meditate, we just become kinder, nicer, happier people. So true. Your book talks a lot, obviously, meditation is about consciousness and so forth. So let's talk a little bit about consciousness. What is consciousness? Well, at the very simplest level, 
you know, what I love about the new science of consciousness is at the simplest level, consciousness Mm -hmm. is just being aware of something. Mm -hmm. And they can now really detect that. They can flash an image on a screen so fast that you you can't register it. You cannot say, I saw them flash the jack of hearts up on the screen. Um, but if they flash it and they leave it just a little longer, you can say, oh, yeah, that's a jack of hearts. And uh, so that then becomes conscious. And then they can look at the brain waves. And what they find is that when you're conscious, the brain waves are much more amplified and bigger. They've compared an unconscious thought to a conscious one from a snowball to an avalanche. That's the comparison. Mm-hmm. The brain just sort of registered this consciousness. So consciousness, I would say, just for the purposes of what we're doing, is a kind of an awareness. Mm-hmm. But in the way in which it's been understood by meditators, consciousness has typically been divided into three types, waking, sleeping, and dreaming. Mm-hmm. But What these meditators have discovered is that there are other states of consciousness that come about through meditation, and particularly the transcendental meditation is a very powerful method for eliciting them. And in fact, the very name transcendental meditation is taken from the word transcendence, which is Mm -hmm. a state of consciousness that you go into when you're meditating. It's very pleasant, it's very, you are alert, but you're calm at the same time, your mind is active, but it's also often empty. And it's very unusual to be conscious, but not have any content in it. They call it pure consciousness. So that's now another state of consciousness. But then as you meditate, that state of consciousness filters into your daily life so that you become calm in the presence of activity. So I can be talking to you now, and I can be feeling very interested in our conversation and engaged in talking with you, but at the same time, there's a kind of peacefulness that exists side by side with the activity. Very interesting. And your book obviously talked about how we can develop consciousness. So when we do that, you have talked about in the book in terms of getting it to the level of that certain peacefulness. You talk about getting it to the fourth level of consciousness, mm-hmm. a state of complete rest, and yet you alert about your surrounding pretty much, I would think. How has transcendental meditation helped you personally? Well, it's helped me in a lot of ways. For example, You know, I have a friend, he said he was away for two weeks, he went away and he unplugged. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like I unplug twice a day. I unplug because I'm in another place which is very wonderful, inside my own mind. You know, the Mm -hmm. Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius put it very beautifully. Mm -hmm. He he wrote a a piece, a very famous treatise or book called His Meditations. And he said, you know, human beings, we go to country houses and to the ocean and to all kinds of places to find peace. But he says, it's not necessary because at a moment's notice, you can go to such a peaceful place inside your own soul that makes all of these other places seem less peaceful by comparison. So he said that, and it's true. So it helps me because twice a day I have this very, very peaceful experience, which is Mm -hmm. wonderful. But then what happens is you get a cumulative benefit. For example, creative efforts come more easily. Things work out better. Since I started meditating, which was eight years ago, I've written four new books. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't have been possible. You know, they, they seem to, well, I wouldn't say they seem to write themselves, but they seem to flow more easily. Mm-hmm. And I credit that with, I attribute that to, you know, transcendental meditation, which has made me more creative, more effective, mm-hmm. and uh, just happier. And people have noticed it, you know. People mm-hmm. close mm-hmm. to me have said, you know, you're a very different person. 
And, and there's all kinds of people. You know, it could be very close people close to me, or it could be that somebody came up to me at a lecture the other day and said, you know, when you talk about this, I can really feel the authenticity because it's clear that this right. actually had a good effect on you. So, so I, I feel like, but it doesn't matter whether people notice it or not because that's not the important thing. The important thing is for one to notice it oneself. <laughs> that's what right. matters, really, isn't it? So true, so true. Meditation is for one's own wellness and yes. everything else permeates from there outwards. Now, I would say wellness and growth mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I would say that, yes, it makes you healthier and happier, but it also develops you as a human being. You know, the psychologist Abraham Maslow, mm-hmm. uh, he, he is very famous for his hierarchy of needs. He, he said the highest need is the need to self-actualize. You know, whatever it is that we can be, that's what we need to be if we're to be fully realized. And I think that the meditation, besides making you healthier, and we, we should really discuss that, besides making you healthier, also helps you develop to your best potential. So true, because it helps you to develop the confidence from within, and it comes back to the concept of what I've said just now in terms of then it permeates out, because the energy is permeated from within outwards rather than from outwards coming in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is right. This is true. Why did you decide to write Supermind? Well, that's a great question because, you know, I had already written Transcendence and it's also mm-hmm. about TM. But what really came to my attention is that, you know, partly as a doctor, as a psychiatrist, I am interested in helping people who are suffering. So, Transcendence had a lot to do with people who are suffering, anxiety, addictions, people in disadvantaged schools, addicts, Mm -hmm. prisoners. All of these people can benefit hugely from TM. But then it occurred to me that there, there are many regular people who aren't in these specialized situations, but we also want to be the best we can be. So I wanted to write a book that reflected the capacity of the technique to make us really push the limits of what we're capable of, because that's what I thought and I believe and I've seen this technique to do. So supermind is the mind at its absolute peak. Now, you know, people say, well, can I become Einstein? Can I become Mozart? Mm -hmm. No, no, of course not. We all have our finite limits, but there is a sense that many of us have that we're not really fully realizing those limits, and the supermind is there to help us to do just that. Very interesting. What happens to the mind during transcendence? Very good question. We see brainwave changes. Uh, we see the alpha rhythms, which are slow rhythms associated with contemplation and thoughtfulness, and they sweep over the brain, especially in the frontal parts of the brain, which are responsible for making good judgments and good decision-making. And uh, these, of course, are things that often determine how successful we're going to be and how effective we're going to be. And so the alpha rhythms predominate and especially in the frontal parts of the brain. Also, different parts of the brain work, as far as the EEG is concerned, more collaboratively with each other. It's called coherence. So there's an increase in coherence uh, that occurs uh, in meditation when you're transcending. And then there are um, physical changes, like, for example, the hormone... uh, Prolactin gets secreted. Mm -hmm. That's a hormone that is secreted by nursing mothers that's associated with being very calm and peaceful. So there are a lot of things going on that that affect the mind. Can you also explain to us the physiology of transcendence? You have a wonderful chapter about that. Definitely. Well, what happens is that the body slows down 
breathing slows down and you become very calm. It feels like you're molding into the chair and if you have any ache or pain, it seems to get better. Pain seems to decrease. Distress seems to decrease. Anxiety is less. And so as you're transcending, all those things are happening. But what then occurs that's even more interesting because what happens during meditation that's that's one thing but what mm -hmm. happens between meditations that's the most interesting thing and what you find is for example there is the sympathetic nervous system or the fight or flight response system and we know that if a person gets alarmed if they get perturbed then your alarm signals go on. And one way that they measure that is by electrodes on the skin, the so-called galvanic mm -hmm. skin response. That's one of several outputs of the polygraph because, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're being wired up and then you say something <laughs> true and then you get anxious and they get bing, up goes the galvanic skin response. So yeah. basically what they've done is they've wired people up with this, with this device and then they alarm them. They either give them a very loud, obnoxious noise, or else they show them violent images on a screen. And these cause, in a regular person, it causes a, a big blip up with a galvanic skin response, slowly settles down. But then there are several more little blips, so-called false alarms, because the nervous system hasn't settled down yet. Uh, now, in the case of people who are seasoned meditators, there's one crisp blip, goes up, comes right down again, and the nervous system settles down into its proper position. So you can tell that the nervous system has been reprogrammed. Now you might say, well, that's all very mm -hmm. nice, but mm -hmm. what's the value of it? Well, right. the value of it is, you know, all day long we're having little annoyances coming our way. Or somebody gives you a piece of bad news, you know, you sent something, mm -hmm, into, mm -hmm. you send something in to be accepted for publication and they don't want it. Or you put a bid on a property and somebody beats you to it or whatever, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Or it could be very simple, like, you know, you go, go down to find the New York Times in the store and the last one's just been sold. It could be anything, you know, that irritates you. Mm -hmm. Um, you go to get a cup of coffee, ah, you're out of coffee. You know, whatever it is, little things. Somebody gives you a funny look, you say, now why is he giving me that <laughs> funny look? What did I do? Right. What did I do wrong? Let me, go, let me go ask him. Then you go ask him, and he's giving you a funny look maybe because he had a fight with his wife this morning. I don't know why, but you're taking it personally. So um, what happens is that you stop sweating the small stuff, and you just say, well, you know, the coffee's out. I'll go get myself some more coffee. I can do without it. Why did he give me the funny look? I don't know why he gave me the funny look. I'm sure it'll be okay. No need to talk with him about it. And sure enough, by the middle of the day, you know, he's perfectly friendly. He's forgotten mm -hmm. why he gave you the funny look. So things just kind of take care of themselves, you know. Little stresses just kind of dissolve. And you become more resilient. And as a consequence, you know, probably your blood pressure goes down. It, it actually has been endorsed, TM, Transcendental Meditation, by the American Heart Association as an alternative or complementary treatment for high blood pressure because you're not being triggered all day long. Very interesting. These are the things that we go through every day, whether we're conscious of it, certainly it's happening around us, and you're right. We react rather, I would say, subconsciously in a way, because action causes reaction mm -hmm, in so mm -hmm. many ways. How does one get from transcendence to supermind? Well, it's actually a great question, and it's just repeating, um, meditate, and then do you go about your day. Meditate, and then go about your day. And it's almost like, the, you, you know, when you 
pick a river, where you pick a stone out of a riverbed, mm-hmm. it's nice and smooth. Mm-hmm. It's the regular flow of the river that has smoothed out all the sharp edges of the stone and made for that beautiful, smooth pebble that you pick up. Well, that's a little bit how the meditation works on our psyche, that you meditate regularly and it really just kind of takes those sharp edges off. In fact, you know, you just you automatically choose a path that isn't going to cause you to be with sharp edges. You know, you mm-hmm. if you have a choice of who to work with, you just work with nice people. You you basically choose a course that isn't going to end up exposing you to unnecessary upheavals or frictions. Mm-hmm. And so the the transcendence becomes the supermind because of the repeated effects of the meditation and they automatically hold through the day that's why you need to do it twice a day because that's what really programs these changes into you in a way that are sustainable and that change the quality of your life so true what you're doing is that you're giving yourself two points in the day or two intervals that you can just sort of take a personal time out and reset. Right. Yes. Let me ask you, because you sound very much like you know what you're talking about. Do you meditate yourself? I hope so. I read your book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's great. That's great. (laughs) Thank you for asking. I do, not as frequently as I should, like you had mentioned earlier in the broadcast. I try to do that as best as I could every morning, as a matter of fact. I don't do transcendental meditation, but close to it in terms Mm -hmm. of I'm having my little own mantra that I go through, whether it's self-validation, whether it's giving me the inner strength that I seek. It does give me a sense of peace, focus, and it energizes me from inside because mm-hmm. science has proven this. We're all made up of chemicals in our body. And when I mean chemicals in the sense of fluids and so forth and all that kind of thing. So as we charge it with the right energy, then by definition, that's what I felt like we're able to sort of project that positive energy outward. That's interesting. Well, you know, I'd like to ask you, you've read the book, what yeah. part of the book did you find was most interesting or useful to you? I find that the fact you have the magic number, which I was going to ask you about the 20 minutes, the magic of the 20 minutes, because you have to just really shut down and get into the zone and really fighting all the other urges of like, okay, my mind is traveling here and there, and so it takes it to a different level. I like the fact that you have scientific data that truly shows how you can come from within, on the inside. It's much more than what I'm doing, because I was doing it from a standpoint of a spiritual side, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what yeah. your book did, it looks from a perspective of health, and that's fascinating to me. Great. I'm glad you found that useful. Yes, I think the physical changes are very, very impressive. Uh, the, what what can do for you physically is really impressive. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you, you know, the psychological things, being a psychiatrist, I find yeah. extremely interesting. Yeah, you talk about the heightened sensory experience, and that's what I look for for myself so that I can get that. And that brings me to the question of the impact of transcendental meditation on consciousness. For lack of a better term, you know, we're dialing up our sensitivity dial, I guess, for <laughs> lack of a better term. Perhaps you can explain it a little bit better than I can. Well, yeah. I think that, that um, since I've been meditating, the world seems more vivid, more colored, more fine-grained and vibrant. Um, And so I think that, uh, yes, it does. And and not all the time, but periodically. Periodically Mm -hmm. it sensitizes me to beautiful things that I see. 
And uh, I think that is one advantage of this growth of consciousness. And it could be to, a, to people. It could be to a person's expression or a person's... You could feel more empathic. You could feel more connected mm-hmm. with somebody. It's a very mm-hmm. nice kind of thing. So true. And the other thing I got was the most important thing, I think, to me, is that the power of self-actualization. Mm-hmm. That in itself, it gives me the opportunity to look at athletes, more so athletes than anyone else, the mind has that perfect picture of what you're wanting to accomplish, of who you are, in a sense. And now, are we backing it up from a physical standpoint of view? Right. And, you know, I think that one, one reason why a lot of very capable and very you know, well-known people seek out transcendental meditation is that these mm-hmm. are people who want to play at the top of their game. Right. You know, they want, to, they want to absolutely be the best they can be. So the book, uh, Supermind, does include a lot of, you know, really well-known people. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it includes some very ordinary people who are also uh, feeling like it's helping them in many ways. Mm-hmm. So true. Does transcendental meditation build a better brain? Yes. Yes, I would say it does. In fact, I have a whole chapter on that. It's a, a very fun chapter. It starts with uh, Cameron Diaz uh, on a mm-hmm. film set in Los Angeles in the zoo. Uh, and the heat is so intense, she can't remember her lines. And <laughs> she says, listen, guys, I only need 25 minutes. She goes, she goes to her trailer, she meditates. 25 minutes later, she comes out, and she is good to go. Mm-hmm. She is able to, um, you know, remember them fully, and then they can all go home and get out of the heat. Uh, But it's just a little vignette because what follows is a couple of really uh, serious studies, one done at Norwich University in Vermont, and um, it's the oldest military university in the country for military recruits, officer recruits, and um, they have shown that the TM helps them on many, many standard tests of brain functioning. And similar studies have been done in Taiwan and have shown mm-hmm. very similar effects. So it seems as though uh, TM can improve memory, it can improve creativity and intelligence and, and uh positive uh, energy of all different kinds. And this is from standardized tests. This isn't just somebody looking at them and saying, oh, you know, they've they've been Mm -hmm. pretty smart, they've been better than usual, whatever, whatever. Although the the group that meditated actually won the prize as the one that was sort of most effective and most competent of everybody. I would think the meditation side of the equation helps us to build a very disciplined mind. Yeah, it does. And you know, the interesting thing is it comes organically. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, oftentimes, if we want to be more disciplined, we say to ourselves, I'm going to be more disciplined, I'm going to get up at thus and such a time, I'm going to do two (laughs) hours of this, I'm going to do such and such. And, and you know, that can work. But the voice that you're hearing is the voice of a disciplinarian. Somebody who's giving you orders, who's being like a drill sergeant. And, you know, nobody actually likes to hear that voice barking out at them all the time. Mm -hmm. It actually is unlikely to sustain itself over time because we don't like to be shouted at. We don't like to be ordered about, even by ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. So true. The voice inside says, well, why don't I try this? Maybe it'll be interesting. Let's give it a shot. Then before you know it, you're kind of engaged in the process, and an hour's gone by. And wow, I already produced something. That's kind of cool. Now let me take a break. You go take a break, but while you're taking your break and you're going, you go, maybe you go for a walk or maybe you go for a snack or whatever you want to go for, um, the project is continuing to work its way in your mind. You say, wait, that was fascinating what came up there. 
Right. I, I've got to get back to it and pursue it. And so you're engaging yourself in things that are fascinating to you. And so the discipline arises kind of organically. Does that make That's sense? That's correct. Oh, it's so true. I believe in the fact that you get more done when it comes to what you're wanting to get done when you want to versus you have to. Exactly. Very well put. And so it's a big, 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 big difference from that perspective. What is the number one challenge people face when trying to get in the zone and being in the zone? Well, that's a really, really good question because, you know, getting in the zone Mm -hmm. is like falling asleep. Let me tell you how it resembles that. It's like wanting to get into another state of mind. And if you're lying in bed and you said to yourself, come on, fall asleep. You've got a lot of work to do tomorrow. And if you don't fall asleep, you won't do the work properly. What's going to happen? You're not going to fall asleep. Because there again, it's not a kind of shift in consciousness from waking to sleeping that takes kindly to being ordered about and bossed about, you know? It's something where you need to ease yourself into that somehow. And when we go to bed, you and I both know we have certain things we do that are conducive. We don't run after sleep. We let sleep catch us. So Mm -hmm. we read a book, we turn down the lights, we listen to music. We've all got our tricks. We count sheep. We think of what's going on during the day. Whatever we know helps. That's what we do, and sleep comes to us. And that's the same with the zone. The zone has got to come to you. And we know certain things that we can do that help us get into the zone. And in um, the book, I do tell a story of a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. His name is Barry Zito. He was a former all-star baseball player, pitcher for the Giants. San Francisco Giants, and I talk about a game where he helped to turn the tide in a World Series uh, and credits TM with helping him get in the zone, being just where you are. You see, sports people and performing artists know they've got to get into that zone. Mm -hmm. And it's been said, you know, if you're playing tennis against somebody and he's just, his backhand is just really killing you. And you catch him in one of the breaks and say, you know, your backhand is amazing. Show me exactly how you do your backhand. That's going to psych him out because now, Mm -hmm. instead of the backhand being part of his automatic repertoire, the backhand is becoming, uh, you've put it in his conscious mind. Mm -hmm. So you Mm -hmm. spoil his automaticity. You've you've interfered with him being in the zone. Mm -hmm. Now, um, TM helps people stay in the zone. Very interesting. How would you describe the relationship between engagement and detachment? You know, that is such an important thing because when I was learning... um, become a psychiatrist, I I learned, you know, to love and to work was what Freud said was really important. We had to be engaged. We had to love. We had to work. We had to act. We had to do. But, you know, what happens when a relationship isn't working or isn't going to work or when your job is not the right job for you, you know? As Mm -hmm. they say in the country in Western song, you've got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. (laughs) You know, you've got to know right. when, when it's time to pull back. And that's the balance that I think we're involved in throughout our lives. How to balance engagement and detachment is a challenge that all of us have to face. And I think that the TM is very, very helpful. It's very, very helpful to me personally. I explained that in a chapter um, while I was actually writing the book. Um, mm-hmm my younger sister died in South Africa very unexpectedly of a sudden virulent cancer. And I had to go back there and, you know, be involved in her 
mourning her with the rest of mm-hmm. my family. And you know, when I came back to the States, I really didn't feel like writing. And I called my editor and I said, you know, what can you do about it? Well, it turned out not very much. It turned out that this was something that not a whole lot could be done about. And I had to just get the book done. So, you know, I did what writers have done throughout time. I took the feelings, I took the experience, and I used them to mm-hmm. make my point that, mm-hmm. yes, I, I had to, at the same time, I was attached to her and I was having to detach in order to be functional. And that's, I think, what all of us have to do who suffer losses. And um, I talk about even animals, like an elephant who, who lost her Mm-hmm. calf and how she went looking for water she had to leave the dead calf behind she had to take the herd they had to get water and when she came back along the same trail the next year there was the skull of her dead daughter and she took her trunk and she put it into the crevices of the skull as though she was trying to relive those memories and recapture that bond and the whole herd stood by respectfully as she paid her respects to her dead daughter. And then after a while, she just put the skull down and off they went, you know. And we have to survive mm-hmm. and we have to continue. But uh, it's difficult. And this is a difficulty that I think TM can help us with, is mm-hmm. the balance, how to attach, how to detach. We all have to learn that very delicate dance. So true. Obviously, transcendental meditation does a lot for mindfulness. But before we address that, what is mindfulness? Mindfulness is a different type of meditation that comes from the Buddhist tradition. And one way or another, it involves directing the attention to concentrate on something that's going on in the present moment. And that something could be a thought like loving kindness. It could be uh, an inner experience, like breathing. It could be focused on an image or an action that you're doing. But the idea is that by directing people to keep focus on the present, they then get a special kind of insight into the world as it truly is. And many people find that to be a very valuable discipline. How does transcendental meditation enhance Mindfulness. Well, that's a very strange thing because even though transcendental meditation doesn't actually advise you to do that, when I did a survey, mm-hmm. people said that since they'd started TM, they had actually become more mindful. Mm-hmm. So um, it was interesting since that hadn't been the explicit goal. Are there challenges that prevent people from experiencing the benefits of transcendental meditation? You know, I think one of the things that has impressed me about the technique is that if people learn properly and if they do it right, um, they should, almost anybody should be able to do it. I think sometimes Mm -hmm. when people are having difficulty, they may want to check in with their teacher and that can help them a lot. I know there have been times I thought it wasn't really helping me as much as it could, and just a little bit of advice and coaching from my teacher has made you know a big difference. Mm-hmm. Big difference. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. You talk about the importance of having a personalized mantra. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Well, you know, the way in which transcendental meditation teaching has evolved is that the the originator, who was Maharishi Mahesh Yoga, uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, excuse me, he actually uh, developed a teaching format that's been used. He taught him, he himself taught thousands of teachers, and they taught other people, and so it's been passed on in a kind of tradition, which is exactly how it was done uh, for thousands of years in the Himalayas. It was passed on, uh, you know, from teacher to student, teacher to student. And so basically he has used or he has um, disseminated the kinds of mantras that have been 
helpful in the past. They don't have a meaning. They're derived from Sanskrit terms, and they've been found to be conducive to uh, transcending uh, experiences. So uh, that's how they've worked it. They don't give the mantras out publicly. It's it's part of mm-hmm. the way in which they have decided to teach it and retain the integrity of the teaching themselves. So that's a, a little bit about what I can tell you about them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Can you give us some examples of Supermind in Action? I know we talk a little bit about athletes and so forth, and we talk about a little bit about you and things that you've accomplished. Let me just give you one story, because there are mm-hmm. so many lovely stories in the book. Right. And, right. and you know, you learn, I think we as human beings learn best through stories mm-hmm. rather than generalized principles. So this story is about a ballerina. Uh, her name is Megan Fairchild. And she developed fainting episodes that were threatening the ability of her to continue with her dance. And somebody suggested TM, and it stabilized her so that she stopped fainting. But she continued to do it. And what happened was fascinating because she had been a lifelong perfectionist, and the perfectionism had helped her become this brilliant ballerina. But it was also getting in her way because she was scared of taking risks. Because as we know, when you take risks, you can things can go wrong and mm-hmm. she didn't want anything to go wrong but if you never take risks then you lose opportunities so all of a sudden she found herself willing suddenly to start taking risks and so there was a call out for um, a ballerina for a Broadway show uh, but this person had to also be able to act and dance which Megan had never felt comfortable doing from the stage and so she got a friend. She, now, now she was, since she started meditating, she thought, why not? Let's take the risk. She got a friend uh, who was in the theater, who taught her to sing a song and do a little acting, auditioned for Broadway and was accepted for the role right there in the room, which is virtually unheard of. And so she had a year performing in a Broadway play. She got very good reviews, and her life has kind of opened up. She's now taking all kinds of risks. She's having all kinds of rewards. She's still a brilliant ballerina. She's returned to the ballet after her year in the Broadway show. But it's Mm -hmm. just an example of how we challenge ourselves. We are willing to be open to new possibilities. That is part of the gifts of the supermind. I'm so glad you chose that story because, again, it comes back to the concept of there's something that happens within us and our mind that gives us that sort of, for lack of a better term, that supernatural confidence in projecting ourselves outward and our ability to get those kind of things done with confidence. Yeah, and our willingness to make mistakes and even look mm-hmm. stupid, mm-hmm. you know? Even to look mm-hmm. stupid is a good thing. Right. So true. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading Supermind? You know, i just firstly like them to have a good read. I'd like them to read about some really intriguing people. I'd like them to understand that they can have a lot of the benefits, that this is all accessible to them that there is a wonderful technique out there that really is worth knowing about, and that consciousness is real and that can be changed and expanded. So all of these things are things that I would love people to know, and I think that in Supermind I have produced a book that I hope will do just that, that will let them know all these things and expand their minds and expand their worlds Uh, just like I have had that benefit myself, that's what I'd like to pass on to other people. Wonderful. Are there some first steps someone needs to take in their journey to begin practicing transcendental meditation? 
Well, I think I, I think that I would encourage people to take a look at my website. It's got a lot of free materials out there, mm-hmm. including mm-hmm. sample chapters and things that'll be very much like a first step. My website is normanrosenthal.com. I encourage people to check it out and read what's there. And um, I also have, uh, you know, things that I put out on my Facebook page. It's Dr. Mm-hmm. Rosenthal, Dr. Uh, yeah, it's Dr. Norman Rosenthal, and also my Twitter. So there's a ton of stuff that I just put out there that hopefully will get people thinking about it and fascinated about it. And then, of course, if you feel that anything I've said uh, is makes it worthwhile digging in a little more, there are my two books, Supermind and Transcendence, and that's a great start. There are centers where they teach TM all over the country, and I would um, encourage people to go to tm.org, tm.org, uh, very simple. And uh, if they want to go, they'll, they can go get a, a sort of free introductory uh, session any, anywhere where there is a center. They can go and find out more about it. So I think just to educate yourself, find out more about it, and um, take it from there. You know, I, I, I think that a journey begins with a first step. Mm-hmm. Open a book, hit on a link, visit a place, open your mind, just be willing to be open. You know, there's a Buddhist concept called the beginner's mind. And it means looking at the world with the mind of a child, mm-hmm. unprejudiced, unfettered by preconceptions. Look at a world with, a, with a, the eye of a child and then think, is this something that might make a difference to my life? I was open to when my patients spoke to me, and I'm so glad I was. It's really changed my life. Fantastic. By the way, we're coming close to the end of the hour. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Well, you know, life is so complicated. Why don't I leave you with something very, very simple? When you go to bed at night, just think of three things that you want to do in the next day. Just think of three, three principles. Like sometimes when I go to bed, I say, you know, tomorrow I'm going to do everything the very best way I know how. I'm going to take care of myself, and I'm going to deal with everybody who comes across my path with kindness and respect. Those are just three things I sometimes say to myself. I will do the best that I can in everything I do. I will take care of myself. And I will treat everybody whose paths I cross with kindness and respect. Just a simple thing, but I would suggest people just make their own three things up. Three things seems like an easy thing to remember. It also puts you in a very good place when you're going to sleep so that you end the day with a positive feeling about it. And then you start the new day, and there it is in your mind. That's fantastic. Dr. Rosenthal, thank you for the wonderful recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To our listeners, please join me in three weeks, Tuesday, August 8th. My guest will be award-winning novelist Shannon Baker. She is the author of Nora Abbott Mystery Series from Midnight Inc. Shannon and I will be discussing her latest Kate Fox Mystery Series and the debut of Strip Bear. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Bye-bye.
When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R and B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. This summer, zero in on a new Nissan and zero in on big savings. Now with bonus cash on select models on top of existing offers, now's the best time to get a great offer. Get to your local Nissan store and shop choose Nissan.com today. Hurry, bonus cash ends soon.